It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Rich Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. On Tuesday, August 11th, Decal held a special virtual town hall webinar on COVID-19 for Georgia child care providers and advocates featuring Governor Brian Kemp and Dr. Kathleen Toomey, Commissioner of the Georgia Department of Public Health. This was an opportunity for child care providers to hear directly from state leaders and ask their questions as many programs reopen and return for school. And Commissioner, this was such a great opportunity for all of us. We decided to record the webinar and share it here on the podcast. Absolutely, Reg. Uh, We wanted to give everyone an opportunity that may not have been able to tune in live for uh, the webinar and the town hall with the governor and Dr. Toomey to also have another opportunity to hear it uh, via our podcast. So happy to reshare it here. We just wrapped up the town hall with over 1,200 participants all across the state uh, joining us online. And now we're making it available through our podcast. We're also posting it to uh, our website at decal.ga.gov. How do you think it uh, it went? You know, I think it went really well. Um, we had a devoted amount of time with the governor and Dr. Toomey, and uh, the governor provides a lot of updates on the COVID situation in Georgia, including uh, the newest uh, mega testing site that they just opened uh, this week down at the airport. And then Dr. Toomey gave a lot of great answers to a lot of questions that were submitted by childcare. And I know that the child care community will be very appreciative to hear those answers. Now, I know we had uh, a limited time, four questions, and we got about 40 or 45 questions, I think, from child care providers. Uh, you got to see uh, and read through all of the questions. What are the general concerns on the minds of child care providers uh, these you, days? You know, a lot of the questions were very specific scenarios on what do I do if this happens in my program? You know, if, if there's a positive staff member, if there's a positive um, child care, a child in my program. And so we tried to, you know, ask as many questions as possible. But the good news is, and I want to stress this, and you'll hear a little bit about it on uh, the, the town hall is the Department of Public Health and DECAL have jointly created guidance that all child care providers will be receiving very soon. It's in draft form. It's 27 pages and it has very specific steps. So any child care provider faced with any scenario related to COVID will know exactly what to do. Uh, what we were hearing is that they were calling their local public health um, office and sometimes, you know, there would be a delay in a response and we know they needed to make take action pretty quickly. And so working with the Department of Public Health, they were able to give us some really, really specific guidance on exactly what these child care providers should do. So there shouldn't be any more questions. Um, it is a very, very well thought out document and we hope to release that in the next week or so. You're going to hear Dr. Toomey uh, publicly thank DECAL and Commissioner Jacobs for uh, this document, and um, very complimentary. She says it could be a good handbook. It's a great document. Um, It's 27 pages. I've read it from front to back. It's really just in its editing stages, and I think child care providers will be grateful to have that in their hands as they continue uh, to navigate the public health emergency. All right. So with that, let's listen in on our town hall for child care providers with Governor Brian Kemp and Dr. Kathleen Toomey. 
Good morning, everyone. I am Amy Jacobs, the Commissioner of the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, and I thank you and welcome you uh, to our virtual town hall with Georgia's child care providers. Uh, we are very fortunate today. Uh, we set aside some time for you to hear directly from Governor Kemp and from Dr. Kathleen Toomey. Um, Governor Kemp, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. As of right now, we have over 800 uh, participants on the call with us. I know they are eager to hear from you, and so I will go ahead and turn it over to you. Well, great. Good morning, everyone, and thanks, Amy, for that. Uh, I just want to certainly thank Commissioner Jacobs and her staff for organizing the call and setting up a direct, a direct line of communication with all of you all that are out there where the rubber's meeting the road every day. I wanted to just go through, uh, give you a quick update on what we're seeing in our fight with COVID-19. You know, it, it's so hard to follow a lot of this data and, and watching the kind of the mainstream news. Sometimes you get bogged down in certain things and don't really get to see some of the encouraging things that are going on. But for the first time since July the 18th, our active hospitalizations for COVID patients are below 3,000. We've seen about a 10% drop in just 10 days. Yesterday, that number was down to 2,871. I know last Tuesday it was 3,113. So we've seen a lot of people, a lot more people coming out of the hospital than going in with COVID. And we've, we've been waiting on this to happen for uh, a long time now. And we're, we're hoping and praying that trend continues. Also, we have worked with Grady Hospital in Atlanta to set up the Georgia Continuate uh, Coordinating Center, the Georgia Coordinating Center, which this helps uh, hospitals provide the best care possible and make sure that we can find a bed for someone no matter what part of the state they're in. So it's, it's basically a one-stop shop if, if hospitals are getting stressed and they need a critical patient to get a different kind of care or need a bed that they don't have for a certain procedure or COVID patient, they can do that by making one phone call to the Georgia Coordinating Center and certainly appreciate the states um, working on that with, uh, with Grady. It's a great partnership that we have. We've also implemented our hospital surge capacity plan. We've had this for many months. Uh, as you know, we stood up the World Congress Center uh, temporary hospital facility several months ago. We never ended up using it, maybe just a few patients in there. Uh, we decommissioned it, but we've always had that in our back pocket if we needed to use it again, and that time has been here. So we've set it up in a more reduced capacity of 60 beds, and so that's up and available. We can expand that to 120 very quickly if needed. Uh, we're hoping we don't, but we have that resource available to make sure that we're supporting our hospitals. And what this is doing, it's allowing our hospitals to continue to do all of the work that they do, not just COVID, uh, making sure that they're doing elective and non-elective surgeries, you know, hip replacements, knee replacements, you know, heart surgeries, whatever the case may be, cancer screenings. Back during the shutdown, they weren't doing these, and it was it was really a huge financial burden on them. The hospital CEOs have told me they cannot survive that again, and we want our hospitals, as you can imagine, to be viable, not only for for a long time, but certainly during the pandemic. So this is one way that we're supporting them. We're also seeing the 
case curve flatten of COVID patients, which is a good sign. We're seeing our positivity rate drop. That hasn't quite baked in long enough for us to feel confident that that's going to continue. So we're continuing to keep our foot on the gas, you know, telling people to follow the guidance of wear your mask, socially distance yourself, continue to wash your hands and all the other things, follow the guidance that we have that we've worked so hard with your industry on and a lot of others. And let's continue to, to stop the spread and, and really get the, uh, the curve trending downward, which it's starting to do that. We just need to keep, keep after it. Uh, we had a great day yesterday. Dr. Toomey and I joined the U.S. Surgeon General, Do uh, Dr. Jerome Adams at the Atlanta airport at a mega testing site. There, they have the capacity to add 5,000 tests to our daily capacity to target the virus spread in the metro Atlanta area. Uh, this is particularly important in Clayton County, where we're seeing one of the highest positivity rates in the state. So we're right in the heart of that. It'd be very easy for people to get to that facility. And Dr. Adams was telling me they've done five or six of these mega sites in other states that you've seen on the national news, you know, places like New Orleans and so on. And he said this is really one of the best looking um, set up sites that they have because it's a covered parking lot outside, a uh, lot of room and, and just a really nice facility. So we appreciate John Selden and the folks at the Atlanta Airport for working with us, and, as well as the local governments, Chairman Pitts from Fulton County and Chairman Turner from Clayton County were there with us yesterday. Uh, just since July 1st, we've added 25,000 uh, tests to our daily capacity. Uh, I'm sure you all are hearing the stories about how long it was taking to get test results back. Uh, Dr. Toomey and I both felt like and knew that this was unacceptable, so we've been really working really hard. She's worked on the public health side of that. We've put partnerships together with private companies like MAKO, uh, the federal site that we announced yesterday, and other things to give us additional capacity of 25,000 tests. And, that is really the key for us to be able to beat COVID-19 and do proper contact tracing is to get timely testing results. So we've made a lot of headway on that. We're continuing to work very hard on that issue. And as good as the, the numbers are, are looking and the positive signs of progress, we still have a long way to go. We're not declaring victory by any means. We have to stay vigilant and we have to continue to, to follow the guidance that I mentioned before. As you all know, uh, businesses have had to scale back. Schools and universities have had to develop very innovative ways to keep our students engaged, and hardworking Georgians have had to adapt to working from home, but also having to balance uh, something that you all provide, and that is child care. And that's why, you know, what you're doing and, and you know, your support, your willingness to work with Commissioner Jacobs and Dr. Toomey and our team is, is just crucial. We know firsthand how important the work that you're doing is not only for these kids, but also for the financial viability and the livelihoods of their parents. So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the hard work that you all do every day to care for Georgia's children and help support their families. and. In a lot of ways, this is just an extension of our economy. And we know that folks, you know, many people can't return to work, especially single parents and others, that 
don't have confidence or the ability to have their kids in safe care and in a good environment. And I know that's what you all are all striving for. I also know that it's, a, as I mentioned earlier, a big economic impact. This is a $4.7 billion industry on Georgia's economy and certainly including the tremendous support to the earnings of the parents that are that are taking advantage of you, know, you providing this child care. So I just wanted to make sure that you all know that your hard work and the efforts that you've made to, to get open, to stay open, and to be open in a safe way and take care of your your kids and your, your clients uh, is really appreciated. And I want to thank each of you for providing that critical care and doing your part to adhere to our public health directives and CDC guidance that uh, all of you are on working on, whether it's cleaning facilities and many other things to ensure that we have a bright future in our state, not only in the days ahead, but for future generations. And that's one thing that really concerns me more than anything is what our kids are losing in this environment by not having the opportunity in many places to, to be, uh, in one of your businesses or, or in their schools and other things. And it's not an easy thing to do. We're going to, we're going to do this by trial and error and, you know, getting thrown into the fire in many instances and trying to figure things out. Um, but we also have to weigh the risk of, of not trying and not doing that. And that's what Dr. Toomey and I have been working so hard with your industry and many others to do that. So, Thank you again for uh, taking your time to be with us today. And if we could be a service, I hope you'll continue to let Commissioner Jacobs know and Dr. Toomey and I are both at your disposal to, to help any way that we can. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Amy. Thank you very much, Governor Kemp. Uh, we appreciate those kind words. And I know the child care industry appreciates those kind words. They have been working tirelessly uh, trying to serve uh, children and families during all of this. So next, I want to um, introduce Dr. Toomey, who I know all of you know as our Commissioner of the Department of Public Health. And Dr. Toomey, we uh, received over 40 questions, and we're going to ask you a few of those and get through as many of them as we can. Uh, just as a quick update, we have over 1,100 participants on our call today, and so I want to make sure we have an opportunity um, to hear from you. So. Um, I wanted to start with testing, and Governor Kemp uh, mentioned a little bit of this, but as you can imagine, we got several questions about testing and what to expect as far as uh, the length of time to get results. So what is the average length of time to receive COVID-19 results, and what's the best way to find a testing site? So thanks so much, Commissioner Jacobs. There are several different tests, but the tests done at our uh, our, at our testing sites are the gold standard. They are the most accurate tests available. Uh, so uh, don't be confused about antigen tests or other tests. Um, we do a PCR test that is the gold standard. It is the most accurate test available. Uh, we now, now are seeing between three and five days, but in some cases can be as a uh, quick turnaround as 24 to 48 hours. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a backlog, particularly with the commercial labs, and we were seeing uh, 10 days, sometimes even longer. Uh, we believe that has cleared up so the tests are returning faster. Obviously, it's very important to get these tests back 
very quickly so you know the status yourself for the children who may be uh, quarantined. And I think both uh, the governor and I said it was unacceptable to have this uh, delay in turnaround. And so we've been able, as you heard, to get some additional testing capacity uh, and laboratory capacity that really will allow us to um, improve the timing of, of these tests and getting those results back to you. Great, thank you very much. Another question is on quarantining while waiting for test results. So what are the best practices? How long should staff and children stay at home while they're waiting those test results? This is really an important question and we get asked frequently. Uh, and one of the most frequent questions I get asked is, if I'm wearing a mask, does it mean I don't have to quarantine as long? And the answer is actually no. I mean, if you're wearing a mask, we hope you're wearing a mask. Um, but the quarantine time is the same, both for the staff as well as the children. And it's a full 14 days. Uh, during that 14-day period, if, um, if, if you become symptomatic, then you should get tested immediately. If not, you should be tested at around day 10. And that allows enough time for the virus to um, kind of develop and, and have enough virus there to be able to test it accurately with the PCR tests, uh, but you still have to wait the full 14 days. And so just kind of the easy answer is remember 14 days, but during that time uh, to ensure towards the end of that quarantine period to be, to be tested um, or to be tested whenever your um, symptoms develop earlier on. Great. So we also received questions on quarantining, which I believe you've really answered. We should really stick to um, the 14-day uh, before returning to a program. Another question, really specifically for child care, when should children and staff be sent home? What are the current recommendations around fever requirements, runny nose, cough, if the staff and children are actually in their child care program? Well, there's a, a, a few issues. One is if the child actually is tested positive, for COVID, then that's uh, that's very different than if someone, you know, appears to be sick and could have a cold. And I've said many times uh, when I've talked to superintendents and others that we seem to forget that children uh, often have fevers or often have viruses, and most frequently those are not COVID. And so just because a child may be sick with a cold or uh, some other respiratory infection, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's COVID. Um, so if the child is, does have symptoms, uh, they should be sent home and uh, the symptoms uh, go away within 24 hours. Then uh, uh, after that, uh, the child can come back. And that's what uh, the CDC recommends. For someone who has a positive test, um, you know, the, the easy number to remember is 10 days. If a, if, a, if a child or a, an adult is asymptomatic, um, then 10 days after that positive test result, um, they are free to come back. If uh, the child or adult is fever-free uh, and has been uh, without a fever uh, for 24 hours, um, then they are free to come back and, and the symptoms have improved. What is really different than, than it was even just a few weeks ago is that CDC does not recommend that you get another test to 
show that you are negative. We now know that people may continue to test positive uh, up to three months after um, after a COVID infection. So kind of that test-based strategy to return to, to work and to return to daycare uh, is not what CDC recommends anymore. And so I wanted to make sure that you knew that. Yeah, that's very helpful. That is definitely a bit of information that I didn't know and I'm sure that our audience didn't know either. I want to ask you a few questions about best practices as it relates specifically to childcare. And again, these are questions that we received directly from child care providers. Uh, we received several about conducting music classes. You know, that's a big part um, of child care and young children uh, enjoy learning through music. And one provider specifically asked about conducting a 20-minute music class in a large indoor meeting space where children ages three to five can appropriately socially distance. Do you have an opinion on if that's the best practice? Or not? I'd like to. I'd like to think my opinion is data-based rather than just an opinion. But I, I think part of the challenge that we have as we're learning about this virus is that we're seeing that spread occurs in in, in settings that we never thought uh, would be a, a risky setting. And for example, many people became infected. Uh, in choir practice, even though they were socially distanced and wearing masks and, and uh, for parts of the time. And, and uh, the fact that when you sing, you project uh, your voice and, and virus uh, particles can, uh, kind of can be distributed widely, I think makes singing particularly risky activities, singing, shouting. We also saw that at the summer camp. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, one of the summer camps that uh, we had supported with testing um, also had a number of cases and may have been related to singing. So what I would say, if there's any way you can hold your music class outside, outdoors, outside the building, that would be the safest way. I mean, because even social distancing um, six feet may not be enough, um, and that appears to be the case, at least in some of the outbreak settings we're seeing related to uh, singing and music class. Uh, that's a great recommendation to try to do that um, outside, so we will pass that along to those that are not tuned in today. Um, another question specifically related to child care is about playgrounds. Uh, many of them are taking a lot of time in sanitizing those playgrounds very frequently. Uh, and we got the question about with the high, you know, current summer temperatures, do you think that's necessary to continue to sanitize playgrounds? Well, I'm not sure that the, the summer temperatures actually um, make a difference, but I think we know more about the spread of the virus from surfaces, and, and it's probably not as great as we had originally thought, which is good news. Uh, and, you know, we have talked about this, even sanitizing uh, within the work, uh, work areas, and so that they should be sanitized, but probably not after every child, maybe after every pod goes in before the next pod comes back or however the uh, the children are, are divided up. I think there should be um, some, um, some sanitation, some wiping down of the equipment, uh, but not, not after every child and certainly not as frequently as we had originally thought. Um, but it, 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 from class to class or from pod to pod would, would make a lot of sense. Right, okay. 
that does make sense to do that after every uh, pod or classroom. So I want to close with two more general questions, Dr. Toomey. Uh, many of our providers are still wondering when to re reopen. We have about 63% of child care providers that are open, uh, and that number continues to increase on a daily basis. Some are deciding should they close again, and we get the question a lot, uh, and we hesitate to answer because we're not public health experts. But is there specific local data you would advise them to use as they make decisions about uh, reopening or maybe a, a need to close? Sure. And I, I think one of the things that I've said consistently is the data are in some ways even less important than uh, your ability to mitigate. If you can actually um, really take precautions uh, uh, with masking, with uh, social distancing, that is probably the most important factor, regardless of what the um, the uh, the data show. If you'll look at our website, we will soon, if we haven't already begun to show percent positive uh, of, for my county, that is an important number because that shows uh, viral spread. <clears throat> uh, we would like to see it under 5%, 5% or under. And, we'll, and, and we are seeing a decline. There was a time at one point where some of our counties had 20% and higher. It's really come down considerably. Um, so I, I would say look at uh, that as well as the rates per 100,000. Um, but we are putting this on the website so these will be available. <clears throat> and uh, you should be able to get this easily on the public health website. And it's updated daily. Excellent. We will make sure uh, we share that as well. So I do have uh, one final question, and I hope we can spend a little bit of time. Uh, we have about eight minutes left. So as you know, we're all hearing conflicting opinions and information on children and how they react to the virus. Are they carriers? Are they contagious? Are they more or less likely to be symptomatic? But as uh, the expert in our state, what can you share with the audience on children and the virus? Oh, I think it's very clear uh, from data and studies that children can be infected and children can transmit the virus. The good news is they're less likely to have severe symptoms um, and or to be hospitalized. And yet what we have seen is those relatively small proportion of children who were hospitalized often suffers from those same chronic health conditions that you see in adults. Uh, with bad outcomes. And so that is like diabetes, obesity. Uh, ob obesity is one of the major risk factors even for the Kawasaki-like syndrome that can occur after an infection uh, when you get almost kind of a hyper post-infection inflammatory response. Um, so children do get sick, um, although there's a, they're less likely to, to have a severe disease particularly as older adults. In fact, what's interesting is your, your risk for disease actually goes up increment, incrementally with age. We used to say that after age 60, you were at risk, but now we know basically a 30-year-old is, is more high risk than a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old higher risk than the 30, and uh, the 70-year-old higher risk than the 60-year-old. So it's uh, it's almost like a sliding scale, as it were, of, of, of risk, and I think that's important. The, the summer camp, uh, again, uh, was a great lesson uh, that was for all of us because there were few, uh, I think, few occasions for us 
particularly in Georgia, to have seen the kind of spread that occurred in, in that setting. And there was spread among uh, children of all ages, and almost uh, 40, over 40% 40 of the children uh, under age 10 actually became symptomatic and appeared to spread uh, the disease. But also, we also know that um, teenagers and, and older students also can spread the virus significantly as well as to adults. So I, I think we don't, we um, can't say that children aren't at risk or that children can't spread the virus. I, I am glad to say that they don't appear to be as severely affected by the virus, um, but that isn't reason to not take the important precautions that we're, uh, we're asking you to take to protect the children as well as, as the staff working in the, in the daycare setting. I, I do want to point out that, and uh, Commissioner Jacobs, and, and if you don't mind, is that um, I, I shout out both to your staff as well as to our epidemiology team who put together some very nice guidelines. I've gone through them and they really cover a lot of these issues that we talked about today. And I, I think when they're kind of cleaned up and ready, or fully reviewed, uh, I'm sure we can get them out to child care providers. I think this is a, will be a nice handbook for all of you to use to kind of refer to about what some of the issues are and how to best protect the children and their staff. Uh, I completely agree, Dr. Toomey, and we are very thankful for your team at DPH. Uh, and we will, as soon as it's cleaned up, I've read it too, I think it is a great resource for child care to know exactly what to do in many different instances, using many different scenarios of a positive case, how to report it to your local uh, public health department, but it gives you guidance immediately. We know how local health departments are completely overwhelmed right now, and so it gives you guidance for how to operate and what steps to take with your business immediately. And we hope to get out that very soon. And we do appreciate DPH uh, and your work with us on that. Um, me, all Jacobs. Oops. Could I say one more thing that I uh, I just wanted to mention? I, I really uh, wanted to also emphasize that you know your your um, child care centers are all over the state. Um, we have the health directors all over the state working very closely with me. Um, we meet frequently. We're, we're always exchanging information and data. Um, please reach out to them as well as to our state office. Um, they stand ready to help and work with uh, child care centers uh, to ensure that they have the most accurate up-to-date information, whether it be about data or changing CDC guidelines. And we will be happy to, I will mention it to them on a call in, in, a, in a couple of hours so that they are aware that they may be getting contacted. Right, I appreciate that, Dr. Toomey. Um, that is all of our questions, and we are just about at time, which works out just perfectly. And I want to thank uh, Governor Kemp and Dr. Toomey. Thank you again for your time. Uh, thank you for your leadership, and we really appreciate you talking to our child care community. I know that uh, they are appreciative uh, to hear from you directly, and so thank you for your time and your leadership. Uh, and thank you all for joining us this morning. We will, uh, of course, have a recording of this webinar on our website in case you want to go back and listen to uh, Governor Kemp and Dr. Toomey. And with that, I will thank you for everything you do uh, for serving Georgia's children and families, especially in this public health pandemic. Have a great rest of your day.
Our thanks again to Governor Kemp and Dr. Toomey for joining us on this virtual town hall webinar with Georgia child care providers. Uh, we will be posting uh, the webinar to our website at decal.ga.gov. We're also sharing it here, obviously, on decal download. And Commissioner, this is not the only webinar we've held with child care providers. In fact, since the pandemic began, we have held five webinars, all posted to our COVID-19 page. Um, we have, and there's a lot of information that we provide through those webinars. Uh, with, there's a lot of updates, and so we think it's a really good way for us to communicate uh, with the many child care providers around the state as we make changes to policy or learn new information. It's also interesting to go back and listen to some of those, whether they are webinars or podcasts, because we thought we knew more than we knew back in March. <laughs> it was yeah. like, oh, this might last a few months and hopefully we'll be back. And, you know, you go back and kind of look at what will they say that uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah. And um, we really can see that a lot of this work that we've been doing, we have had to, to be flexible. We've had to pivot, as everyone says. Um, we, we've really kind of had to go by uh, a lot of different factors, obviously based on all of the information we're getting from DPH and from CDC and the governor's office. But this has really been somewhat of a guessing game. It really has. And we've done we've done our best to respond as quickly as possible. Um, but you're right. I feel like maybe I should go back and listen to our web- webinars and make sure that uh, what we said was right or if we need to correct it, because I don't think any of us thought we would be in this same situation um, in August. Um, but this too shall pass eventually. We just don't know when. That's right. Um, we did want to update folks and we have done this on social media, but it's a great fact, uh, for particularly our childcare provider audience to know decal has provided over $38 million in short-term assistance benefit for licensed entities. We call it stable payments. And that uh, has gone to 3,817 licensed child care programs in Georgia. These payments represent the first phase of administering $144 million that Georgia received under the CARES Act, the Federal Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. I guess the question is, what's next under that? Right. So uh, we worked really hard to get that first $38.5 million out the door very, very quickly. And um, it was really meant to help stabilize child care because we know how important child care is as parents return to work. And we want to make sure that they survive this pandemic and economic crisis that we're in. So uh, we do have some dollars remaining from the, the CARES money. What we've done is uh, send a survey out to all child care programs. It's, it is closed. And now Carl Vincent Institute of Government at the University of Georgia is analyzing those results. And we ask things, you know, about the process of applying for stable. But we also ask things trying to get an indication of what does the child care industry look like now. We know that it looks different. We know that enrollment is down. Uh, we want to know, you know, if programs are still closed, do they plan on reopening? And we really want to know what are their future needs. You know, um, my commitment is to send um, all of those CARES dollars to licensed child care providers, but we want to make sure we do it in the best manner to help them survive this pandemic and this economic crisis. So we should have some uh, results back, I would say, in several weeks, and then we will um, announce how we will send out the remainder of those dollars in a phase two of stable payments. 
So another example of data-driven decision-making, getting feedback from the providers directly, and then sort of basing our next step uh, on that feedback. Exactly. That's right. And um, I think we're up to about 62% of licensed childcare programs in Georgia now reopened. Uh, Many of them, uh, around 30% or so, kind of weathered the storm through the very worst days of the pandemic, and now we're up to about 62%. How do you feel about that? You know, we we watch that number on a daily basis, and it's slowly increasing. Of course, we want to see all programs uh, reopen um, because they're important, not only for parents to go back to work, but we know how important quality early learning is to set that foundation for future success for children. And so we're rooting for them. We're trying to support them as much as we can, and uh, we're watching it as closely as possible, and we hope we continue to see that number increase. And let me allow you to give a quick shout out to our Georgia's pre-K program. What an unusual start of school this has been compared to past years. I don't know if we've ever seen one like this. Uh, There are three options for uh, how you go about starting, uh, and they have an opportunity to choose from in-person to kind of a hybrid of in-person and online and then total distance learning. Uh, but we're getting in a lot of photos on our social media and the kids are precious. Um, we're just hoping they have a great year. Absolutely. And um, you, mi- you mentioned flexibility earlier, and that's exactly what we tried to do with Georgia Pre-K this year. We know it's different in every community. We know family needs are different in every classroom. And so we wanted to be as flexible as possible in providing those three options. And it has been really great to see um, the Pre-K students back to school with their signs and uh their mask and their book bags uh, going back to pre-K if they're going in person. And big thanks to the teachers and the assistant teachers that are either supporting them in the classroom or supporting them virtually. It's definitely going to be different, um, but we know that they'll do a great job and make sure these 80,000 four-year-olds have a great pre-K year. So uh, stick with us on social media. We keep you updated there, whether it's Facebook, uh, our Instagram, our Twitter We have a YouTube channel, uh, all of these opportunities, but then also stay in touch with us through our website. That's decal.ga.gov. We have a COVID-19 page. We have since the middle of March, and we document and catalog all of the information there, even going all the way back to March. So if you want to go back, and it might be a good study for uh, future generations to take a look at this page one day. Uh, but it is um, literally uh, our game plan as we move forward uh, now into the month of August. So join us at decal.ga.gov. Right there from the homepage, you can go to our COVID-19 page for all the information. Our FAQs are updated on a regular basis. The uh, webinars that we offer posted there as well. Uh, for everyone to tune in. We appreciate uh, your following us on social media and at decal.ga.com. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, this is Carrie Ashby from Decal's Foundation. Commissioner, as you know, childcare is really the backbone of Georgia's workforce. It's challenging for parents to go back to work during the pandemic when childcare for uh, their young children is scarce or or when the additional childcare costs for their school-aged children is now just unaffordable. I feel like student parents working to complete their post-secondary degrees must be dealing with this same challenge even before the pandemic. Could you give us an update on 
two-gen and how DECAL is supporting these two-gen families in Georgia as campuses are opening up for the fall? Oh, well, thanks, Carrie. That is a great question. You know, two-gen is a big part of the work that we do at DECAL, and we are still actively engaged, uh, specifically with the Technical College System of Georgia, uh, to work with their student parents in accessing childcare because they are back on campus and need that access to childcare. You're absolutely right. Um, our two gen work also continues as we issue grants to communities as they do this work at the community level. And we just released a few of those about a month ago. So we're still supporting the two gen work. We're still focused on it and we'll be very happy when things turn back to normal. We can be full speed ahead again. And it's time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers to this question. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's the question from today's virtual town hall meeting. How long did Dr. Toomey say staff and students be quarantined while waiting for test results for COVID-19? How long did Dr. Toomey say staff and students be quarantined while waiting for test results for COVID-19? Send your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers and you'll be a winner. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.